welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everyone. Happy New We're recording this in the year 2020, and what a great year it's going to be. You know why it's going to be a great year? Because we're going to make it that way. We're going to choose that for ourselves, and I hope your year's already off to a good start. This is my birthday week. My birthday is January 14th, so I would love for you to share the show with a friend, to leave a review, and um, think of me on January 14th as I turn 37 years old. I cannot believe I'm pregnant with baby number four at 37, but this is going to be an epic year for our family, and I'm so excited. Today, my guest is a truly incredible, accomplished woman. I remember listening to her dad's money-saving advice, Dave Ramsey, years and years ago on the radio, and now Rachel Cruz is a two-time best-selling author, financial expert, and host of The Rachel Cruz Show herself. She has a new book coming out called Know Yourself, Know Your Money, and it's all about the ways that we get blocked in planning for our financial goals, what our roadblocks in finance actually truly reveal about ourselves, and then how we can also help our kids to empower themselves in financial literacy. And I just thought this was a great start to the year, a great topic to cover. And I'm also excited to hear about her motherhood journey too. So it's a true honor to welcome Rachel Cruz to the show. All right. I'm so honored to be chatting with Rachel Cruz today. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am in Nashville. Awesome. And is that where you're from? It is actually. Yes. I was born and raised here, went off to school and came back. And now Nashville's become like the hub of people coming yes. from all over America, it feels like. So I'm like a unicorn, the fact that I was born and raised here, but I am, yes, from Nashville. Yeah, it has certainly changed in the last 10 years or so, you know, from what I've seen and heard from afar. I'm in California, so um, it's definitely on my places to go list. It seems like a really neat city. It is, yes. We love Nashville. The restaurants and, well, what used to be all the entertainment and everything, it's a little different now, mm-hmm. but Uh, It's a wonderful city. That's so great. Well, Rachel, I'm so excited. It's the beginning of the new year, 2021, and I'm sure a lot of people have financial goals they're looking to achieve and everything, and you are quite the financial guru, and so I'm so excited to chat about that in terms of for the listener, and then also for how we can impart financial literacy wisdom to our kids, and we'll talk about your new book, but for people that don't know you, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Yes. So I have been traveling the country, writing, speaking, everything about personal finance for about 10 years. And a lot of that passion came out of how I grew up. My parents actually filed bankruptcy the year I was born. And out of that, they really tried to figure out how money works. And as a result, my dad started a radio show and wrote books and became personal finance expert Dave Ramsey and all the things um, himself. And so that's really how I grew up is understanding how money works. I wasn't perfect with money, but they laid such a great foundation for us. And so I just became really passionate about the message really in college and started actually speaking with my dad 
when I was in high school. So when I graduated college, I remember saying, I want to go and speak and talk about this subject of money and help people because it's such a stressful, shameful subject in people's lives. And so that was 11 years ago. And that same year, I got married to my husband, Winston. We met at the University of Tennessee. And then five years later, we had Amelia, our first daughter. And so she's five now. And Caroline is three and Charles is one. So we have three little ones running around. And yeah, it's it's a lot of work but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah, that's so incredible. So I'm curious, as you were screening potential, you know, husband-to-be's and dating and things like that, what part of their financial literacy and their own financial stories kind of, I don't know, how did that impact their dateability to you? Was it a bigger deal than, than most people? Or did you talk about it more or just because of your background? Yeah, you know, um, we were so young. We were like 19, 20. Yeah. And I really didn't think much about it, honestly. I do remember, we laughed about it, he paid for the first couple of dates with his credit card. Okay. And I did notice that. I was like, <laughs> okay, he has a credit card. Good to know, good to know. Um, and But yeah, we, we got on the same page pretty quickly. I mean, I think part of me learning what I wanted to do in life as a result, you know, we talked about it and all that. And he's a natural saver. He's naturally more bent to be money responsible than I even am, to be honest with you. So nothing was too far fetched. And we, we really got on the same page pretty quickly, but Winston and I are very much opposites though, when it comes to money. I mean, I am a spender, he's a saver. He loves a budget. I don't as much. I mean, it's, it's the classic opposites attract for sure. Hey everyone, I know you're loving getting to know Rachel, but I wanted to thank a show sponsor and that is Literati. So we just finished up with the holidays, but now my kids have birthdays coming up and it's never easy to find the right gift. And we're always searching for clues as to what's perfect, but I know for my kids, I want them to read more. And so Literati Kids is a subscription book club that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month and they're handpicked by experts. So this is quality literature. They have book clubs for children ages 0 to 12 with age-appropriate selections tailored to your child's needs. And every month, you get that delivered to your door with different themes like mystery, adventure, STEM, history. These are fantastic books, and you're not going to find this type of expert curation anywhere else. It makes a great gift because they have gift subscriptions that are available for multiple months, one, three, six months, and it's a great way of keeping the holiday magic alive throughout the year. So go to literati.com slash emoms for 25% off your first two orders and pick your kid's book club gift today. Remember, nobody has book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash emoms can you get 25% off your first two orders and receive five incredible kids books curated by experts delivered to your door every month. So that's literati.com slash emoms. And it will obviously be linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Thanks, Literati, for sponsoring the show. Now let's keep going with Rachel. And what I think is so interesting about that is that you can have different vantage points from which you view money and you can have different money stories. And like your new book, uh, Know Yourself and Know Your Money, you can come at it from different ways, but still achieve your financial goals. And I think that gives people a lot of hope because it's like, do I have to like a budget? Do I have to like using cash only? Do I have to love that way and scrimp and save and 
you know, and it gives people a lot more options and freedom. You're exactly right. Yeah. So the seven money tendencies I talk about in the new book, and I loved that part of writing it because I love the idea that our personalities and who we are come into play with our money. And I don't want to change who I am. I want to change some bad money habits. And if I'm an extreme on any of these tendencies, that can get unhealthy. And I don't want that. But I will never be a natural saver. That is not who I am. I do save money. Mm-hmm. I've learned to save money because that's wise and smart. But that's not my natural bend. And so, bent. And so because of that, um, you can still win. If you know yourself, understand where the red flags come up and the danger points, then that's when you can kind of pull back some and reevaluate. Yeah. Okay. So if you have an extra thousand bucks that you're able to spend, how's Rachel Cruz spending that thousand bucks for fun? Oh, great. <laughs> Okay, I would go get a long massage, like a 90-minute massage. Uh I would probably do a little shopping, clothes-wise. Okay. I will go out to a really nice dinner um, with some friends. I would go with friends and and Winston and (laughs) have a good time. Um, That would, yeah, that's going to be be probably my (laughs) And there it goes. $1,000? I don't know. This could be a really nice massage. (laughs) Totally. I love that so much. When we entered the global pandemic, I think people figured out their own financial insecurities real quick, whether they lost jobs, whether they had savings, things just changed for people very abruptly. And for people that had a financial plan in place, maybe the world was rocked a little bit less, but all of us had these weaknesses exposed. Um, And so what are you telling people, you know, what has the pandemic revealed uh, to many people about their finances? What are you hearing? And then what are signs of, of a healthy financial situation? Yeah, I think 2020 did a lot for people yeah. uh, when it comes to their finances. I think a lot of negative because people lost their jobs, obviously were furloughed. 40% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency in cash. I mean, it really exposed what was going on, almost like the Great Recession. I mean, yeah. 08, 09 did the same thing. And I remember then Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you can tell who was skinny dipping. Yep. And I, it's a good picture because I'm like, yes, like we can cover up our money mistakes and our bad habits if everything's going okay. But it's when life happens that's what exposes the real root of what's going on. And so for a lot of people, I think they have this wake up call of, wow, I really have things in my life. I can't control. I can't control this pandemic. I can't control what's going on in DC. I can't control the stimulus packages. I can't control if I lose my job or not. Like there's so much out of my control. And so the idea of not owing money to anyone being out of debt and having money saved in the bank for an emergency funds became more important than ever So I think it exposed a lot of that and hopefully got people in a place where they want to change their habits. And I don't think pain is the only teacher in life, but it's a very thorough teacher. Once you go through something and you think, I will never do that again, it will help you force to change your habits. And a good thing that came out as well is I think we we learned needs versus wants in a really real way. I mean, actually, the savings rate went up in 2020 towards the end. Because people weren't going out to eat, they weren't going to concerts, they weren't going on vacation, all of those plans were canceled, and being home actually ended up saving you money, and you realize, I really can live without these things. I miss them, I want them to come back, and I want to be able to do those things eventually, but it showed that you can sacrifice your lifestyle. You could live like you did in 2020, in 2021, and actually save money. 
Yeah. The Home Depot lines increased. That's for sure. Because you're looking around your house and you're like, huh, do I really like this wall color? But <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that was also revealed in 2020. Yeah. I-, I love that so much. And I've been married for 13 years and we've gone through different phases, my husband and I, of splitting up financial responsibilities, him taking over, me taking over other things, things like that. How do you recommend divvying up financial responsibilities? Because I talk to a lot of women who just let their husbands do it, or maybe they do it. And then we don't even you know, know maybe where the money is or where all the accounts are. And heaven forbid a catastrophe happens and you need to yeah. access those funds and stuff. And you're not the one that did it. What would you That's say? Right. Well, I would say, again, there's naturally going to be one in the relationship that tends to enjoy the money stuff more. And that's okay. Okay. But what I don't want you doing is like what you said, handing all the responsibility over to one person. Number one, there's a lack of communication. You are not working as a team. You're not working towards a shared vision. You're just letting the other person run everything. Now, if one person logistically is the one that pays the bills and does all of that, yes, that's Winston, actually. He does all that, takes care of it. I, oh Lord, we would be late on everything if I was in charge of it. (laughs) I am so not detailed. And so he's, he does all of that, but I know because we sit down every month before the month begins and look at our numbers. We look at our bills. We look at what's going to be going out. We look at cable. We look at what electricity will be. And we, we plan out exactly what is going to happen. So when the, when the physical bill comes in, he will just pay it and it's fine, but we know exactly what's going on. So there's a level of communication that happens. And what happens in those budget meetings is you talk about life and we end up getting our calendars out. We end up looking at January and say, okay, you know, this weekend we're going to go visit his family here. Okay. That weekend, this and this, or this night I have, you know, a book launch this week. So that means you're going to get takeout three nights that week. You know, you start to actually unpack life when you talk about money. And that's what I love about it. You get on the same page on so much more than just money. So the communication side's important. And then just like you said as well, having a plan. If something happens, what are you gonna do? So I always recommend someone, we call it, it's a little cheesy, but it's fine, the legacy drawer. So like mm. have a drawer in your house where all the files are, where insurance is, where um, important accounts are and information, where numbers of people that you need to get to are, all of that. Because like you said, that helps if something were to happen. And sadly, you know, life is going to happen. We can't avoid the rain. It's not when life happens. It's, it's not if life happens, it's when life happens. And so just prepping ahead of time is going to save you a lot of stress and give you some peace of mind. Yeah, that is such a great point. And there's no better time than that. And I love how you said it affects all these other aspects as well, because if eating out three times a week is part of what your family needs to have happen, or at least, you know, in a season of life or things like that. Great. Fine. But like plan for that. And, and then you won't be stressed by it. Cause I've definitely had those times where I literally don't want to open my bank account because I mean, I feel like the money's there when I'm spending it. I don't feel like I'm overspending, but there's just something about seeing the deductions that kind of makes me sick to my stomach. And I'm sure that's, I'm not alone in that. And so I just think, oh, out of sight, out of mind. And I, that's not good. And I'm sure that says something about me. I need to know myself, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you are not alone. You're not alone. That is, it is true. Yes. And so that's why I even love, we have a, we have a budgeting app called every dollar oh. and I love it because the transactions come in and you drag and drop into the categories. And as a spender, I actually enjoy the budget now because I see, okay, here's the deduction out of clothing or here's the deduction out of out to eat. 
but here's how much I have left to spend. And it gives me permission to spend that money. It, there's no stress. There's no question. There's no worry because it is already planned. But that also means there's a limit and a boundary. So eventually I'm going to have to say no to myself at times, right. uh, depending on how much money I've spent in the category. But, but that's the kind of thing, yes, that you're doing. You're just kind of getting in this rhythm of it being normal and that it's not scary because there's a plan in place. Yeah. Another thing that I've had a lot of conversations with friends about and have, have felt myself as well is that I'm not the primary breadwinner. I'm not the primary earner, but yet I'm the primary spender. And while I'm spending on things that are prudent for our family and helping to keep our family run, it's weird not being the one bringing in the money that I'm spending. And there can be some guilt around that. And is that something that your book covers? Yes. Well, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. Okay. And, and even couples, if they both work, but one is a teacher and one is a doctor or right. something, you know, and they make drastically different incomes. But I think that's, it's an emotional, uh, it's an emotional point of money, what you're talking about. Okay. And so getting to the point where you really, really believe, okay, in marriage, it is all ours. My friend, Chris Hogan says, we need to be more French we, we, right? Like it's we, it's us together. And when those, when that money hits the account, I don't care who brings it in. It is ours as a family. And so there is a level. Yeah. Emotionally, you kind of have to get over that hump and you may still have elements of that throughout your life or through different decisions. It may, there may be a little bit of that always there, but just getting to the point that you're like, yeah, you bring so much value as a stay at home mom, so much value of what you're, of, of what you're doing on a logistical level. I mean, the amount of money you're saving, not having to pay for daycare or someone to come in and, you know, clean or do laundry or chauffeur or be a chef. I mean, like all the things moms do, there's so much that could be going out income wise. That's not because of the role that you have. So I think it's a beautiful thing um, when moms are able to be home full time. I think it's, and especially if that's what they long for. I love that. There's so many people I know that are working to get out of debt because they want to stay home and mm -hmm. they want to be there with their kids. So there's so much value in that. And, but I do, I do hear that a lot and can feel that too, that man, I feel guilty spending this money because I didn't bring it in, but it's an emotional thing that you have to, that hump you have to get over. Yeah. I never really thought of thinking of it in terms of like the additional money out that would be going out if you were not able to fulfill that role yourself. And so adding kind of those things as kind of a deposit into the bank in those That's ways, right. you can kind of mentally think of it that way if, if guilt is something that, that you struggle with. That's, yeah, that's that's a great way to think about it. And so for your kids, I know your kids are all under five. My oldest is currently 10, but we have a lot of money conversations about how much things cost. And, and I mean, growing up, I always felt very financially secure in my family, but I literally didn't know like how much things cost because my parents just took care of it. And so... How much should we be talking about money with our kids? When should we start? And do you have a money economy type system in your family or one that you plan to implement as your kids get older? Yes. So the money conversations, you know, I really like to look at it as happening in the ebb and flow of life. Mm. So people think growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid that we had like mutual fund parties right. and like budget <laughs> camps every summer. And then we were like obsessed with money. And what's funny when I look back on conversations about money, it was 
with mom at the grocery store. Yeah. It was maybe they were paying a bill for the lights and they brought us over and said, Hey, do you realize how much this costs? You know, like it was just kind of in the ebb and flow of life. It was never this big aha meeting of here we are. We got to talk about this. So yeah, I think there's elements for sure to bring your kids in, but I also think more is caught than taught. So your kids are watching you. They're watching your money habits. They're watching how you're making decisions. They're watching if you're saying no to yourself. Uh, I think that was one of the most beautiful things my parents did. I remember they would say, gosh, we really want this car. Like that car, oh, we if we had the money, that's the car we want. But we don't have the money for it, so we're going to get this car. Mm-hmm. Like you see your parents having to sacrifice and saying no to themselves, which I love that. So, So it's that kind of example you're setting for your kids that is so important and then also letting your kids have a level of responsibility so you asked what we're going to implement we started on the very early ends with Amelia our five-year-old but we are going to do commission not allowance Hmm. so you work you get paid you don't work you don't get paid and when you get paid you're going to break up your money into three categories giving saving and spending because those three money muscles have to be built. You have to be able to use all three as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. It doesn't matter where you are. All three are important. And so teaching them those three is something that we're, we're going to make a priority for sure. I love that. And then they have those muscles once they are financially autonomous. And it's not just something new. I think about this a lot with technology and phones and when to give your kid a phone and all these things. And it's like, if you don't give them the opportunity to practice on some of these things or be trained on some of these, whether it's devices or just making independent choices or staying home alone, whatever it is, whatever it is, we have to allow our kids to practice and to make those mistakes. And the stakes are much lower when they're within the four walls of our home aren't they? That's exactly right. That's what I say about money mistakes with kids. Like they are very inexpensive Yeah. versus the first time they make a mistake is the first time they ever think about money and it's on a car lot, you know, when they're 22, like, no, that's not when it needs to happen. So that training is so key. Andy Andrews says, we're not just trying to raise good kids. We're trying to raise kids who are going to become good adults. So what are the things you put in place for them? Just like you said, when they go off on their own, that they're able to stand because they've had practice. Not that they're going to be perfect, but they at least know and have some tools in their belt to be able to use. Yeah, that is, that is so great. And what I love about your new book, again, know yourself, know your money is that it is the perfect way to kind of do some self exploratory work. And it's not just about money. It's not just about money. It's about you. And it will reveal so much more in the other areas of your life as well. And so it's a really practical, actionable book. If money is, you know, something that is a goal this year of yours and getting that under control or having more knowledge, but other things come from that. And money really is just a manifestation of, of other things underneath. And that's what I'm just loving about your book so far. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really fun to write. I mean, I I spent, gosh, a decade talking about the how-tos, you know, how to budget, yeah. how to get out of debt, how to save, how to invest, how to teach your kids about money, how to, yeah. all these things. And so being able to dig in under that foundation to the why and why we do the things we do with money and getting to that root problem, when you can figure that out, you are able to change your money habits for the better. Yeah. What would you say is a very common root issue that people have with money? I love looking at the spending part of this, why we spend what we spend. 
And 43% of Americans said they spent money during the pandemic because they were bored or stressed. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level of emotional spending that you have to address because it feels good. It does. There's a dopamine hit that happens when you buy something. If it's on your phone or you're in a store, be like, it feels good to buy something. So there's the emotional side of spending. There's also the spending for other people. And so I have learned, I've had to ask the question, if nobody sees this purchase, do I still want it? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because we live in this comparison world, right? That you're buying things or you create a home or you go on a vacation, drive a car. Because, and for some people, it's because they're discontent and they want to feel good and they kind of want to have the status in their life that, that everything looks good. And so uh, asking those questions about spending was one that I, I loved digging into. Well, and it, that makes me think of people that like buy something like a, clo- a clothing item and they love it and they're so excited, but they leave it in their closet until a special occasion. There's got to be something oh. to those people, right? <laughs> Who don't want to wear the thing and save the thing. That's got to translate to money somehow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's not me. I'm just like, wear the thing. Enjoy your life. <laughs> do it. Do it. Pull it out of the closet. Wear yeah, it. <laughs> for sure. Well, motherhood definitely changes you in a lot, a lot of ways. And as somebody that wears a lot of hats, as a business owner, as a writer, as a speaker, as somebody that's just connecting with a lot of people, definitely outside influences have impacted you your whole life. But I'm curious, Rachel, how has motherhood specifically refined you and changed you over these last five years? Oh man, motherhood exposes so much of the good and the bad of, of you. And yeah, I mean, when you have kids or for me, it just puts everything into perspective. And I've realized the things that you can't buy in life for me are the most valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's my family, you know, my health, my faith, these kind of things. And so it's just part of having kids. Again, it exposes parts of you, but, but it almost, it just rocks your world world to the point that when I come home, I could have had the most insane career experience ever, like launching a book and your kid, I mean, mine are obviously little, but like, they don't care. <laughs> they just want me in the floor so bad playing with Barbie dream house they got for Christmas, you know? Right. So it just, it gives you this level of humility and nothing in the world matters. Like God, those little people in my life, I love so much. They're, it's so much work. It's really hard at times. It's really stressful. It's frustrating. I mean, all the emotions are there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it does, it just brings you back to, to what's important in life. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And it is hard as a working parent, I would imagine, to to divide up your time and to feel like you're able to juggle all the things that you're so passionate about. And so how do you how do you do that? And in a, and when you're in a good rhythm, what does that look like for you? Well, it's been interesting. I um honestly recently right before the pandemic after I had my third Charles I was coming, you know, maternity leave was ending and, uh, I, it ended early March, which is just hysterical because we were all home like yeah. three weeks later. Um, but I, toward, I, it was probably in January, honestly, this time last year, which is wild to say my, my desire did start to shift. And I told my husband, I'm like, I don't have this longing to get back to work. And I felt that with the two girls 
But after I had Charles, I don't know if it was three kids. I don't know if it was Amelia that was going to start school that year. I don't know what it is, but something in me just shifted. And I told him, I said, it wasn't mom guilt. It wasn't like I feel guilty leaving my kids because honestly, we were in a good rhythm. I was working about three days a week with a little bit of travel and they were doing great. Like we, we were, we were on good rhythm and they weren't struggling. You know, there are times that you can tell your kids are, are struggling in certain stuff, but we were really in this healthy place. So it wasn't that I felt bad leaving my kids and working. I just wanted to be home more. I was like, mm-hmm. I just want to be in the driveway playing chalk. I want to be the one putting them down for their naps. Like I want to be around more. And so I did make a shift in 2020 of being home more than I ever had. And then obviously with the launch of this book, I've been working much more because of it, which is totally fine. But I have just learned and, and had a lot of moms that have careers or passions that have spoken into my life, but I have had to lean on the word seasons. Hmm. It is so seasonal. And so there's going to be times just like the last three months of my life. I mean, I have been working so much because I have this book launching and I want it to get out there. I want it to help people and I'm excited about it and I love it. And so I get all these opportunities and it's so fun. Uh, but toward the end of that, I mean, come mid February, I want to be home more and I'm going to pull back some and have that ability to be home with these three kids because that's the desire where I'm at. And I'm thankful that I'm able to do that. I know some moms are not in that position at all um, to have that flexibility, but that was a stand I really wanted to take because again, in seasons in four years, all three of my kids are going to be in school. And that's just crazy to think. Um, But that looks like a whole other life, right? Right. Than having the, the three at home right now. So so yeah, for me as a working mom, it's seasons and every season is going to look a little different, but I, as a believer, I really try to discern, discern where God has my heart and my desires. Cause I really do trust him to kind of guide that in my direction. Well, and what I admire so much about what you're saying is then having the courage to act upon that as well. Cause I think so many of us, we long for being able to switch things up or we feel the discomfort but we keep doing the same thing anyway, expecting something to be different for us. And it's never going to be unless you have that courage. Um, and so it can be minor tweaks if a complete, you know, shift in your job schedule is not possible. Um, you know, it can be very minor things. But if you're feeling that sense of discomfort, having the courage to address those things and give something new a try can be really Yes, powerful. you're exactly right. And I think, too, for working moms, it's such a weird thing for women working because I don't feel like we have the ability to off ramp or yeah. we don't feel like we do. Yeah. So the we idea feel of, it. Yes. Kind of going off for a little bit. Yeah. First for a period of time and then maybe going back on later, Yes, but it feels like we can't do that. And yes. I'm like, why do we feel like we can't? Because everyone in the world says, no, no, you're advancing your career. No, you're getting, you're successful. Keep at it. Keep at it. More opportunities, more opportunities. And I guess I just have more of an abundance mindset where I'm like, where I just think, no, th- those will be there. Yeah, They will be there. I think there will always be those opportunities. And if there's not in my heart right now, my season, I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. Because yeah. the doors that are not supposed to be open will not be open. And the doors that need to be open, I believe they will be. Yeah. Or at least something will be there, right? It doesn't have to be the yeah, very absolutely. thing that you've had to pass on in that one season. But I mean, podcasting didn't even exist I mean, kind of it did, but 10 years ago, you know, like I never would have dreamed, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be doing podcasting from my home and have create this job for myself. I never could have even thought of that 10 years ago. And here we are. Right. And so not having those limiting beliefs, I think can really help alleviate that, that stress that, you know, you're going to miss out on something huge. 
Oh, I love this so much. I am so excited for you and your new book. Tell people where they can find the book and when they where they can find you and all the places because I know that everyone's going to want to follow along with your with your journey now. Yes, yes, you can buy the book anywhere books are sold. So any bookstore, Target, Walmart, Amazon, and rachelcruz.com. And I have a podcast, The Rachel Cruz Show, so you can check that out and a YouTube version as well. That's a great picture of you on the cover. So cute. Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> How do you feel about being in front of the camera? Like, do you like, like, is being on stage different than being in a photo shoot for you? Because I know you do a lot of both. Yes, it is. Yeah, my favorite is like video camera. I love doing media okay. hits. I love doing my YouTube show. Uh, that's my favorite by far. Good. And then I and then I love speaking. After that, the the thing I hate the most is photo shoots. It's so funny you said that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> like I feel so awkward. Yeah, I hate photo shoots so much. <laughs> well, it, it turned out great, Rachel. I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, my goodness. I would tell her, you are never going to understand the love that you'll have for your kids until you experience it. And you're never going to understand the amount of work it takes to keep them alive. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your passion and all the best to your family in 2021. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Okay, that was the kick in the pants that I needed. Isn't Rachel so awesome? I love her perspective and I love this new book because it really does break down not only why you feel the way that you do about money, why you spend the way you do, why you save the way you do, but it will reveal whatever that reveals will reveal so much more about your life in general. And those can translate to improvements across the board. And I know that we are all looking to do that in 2021. I know that I am. So thanks, Rachel, for coming on the show. I'll link to where you can find Rachel at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Again, I just appreciate your support. It has been a long time of podcasting, four and a half years, and I am still here and loving it and enjoying it and so grateful for this community. So happy new year, happy birthday to me, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.